we are here. Uh, another episode of In the Clinch. We missed you last week due to some last-minute unforeseen circumstances. We just couldn't throw a show together in time. And we figured we'll just pile on have a little loaded episode here the week after 265. So we're going to talk about Sean Strickland versus Uriah Hall. All that stuff that happened in uh, that main event. We'll recap 265. we got a couple other things we're going to talk about. Fighter pay and everything that's going along with that because we've seen a couple of headlines recently and obviously the viral videos and whatnot. If you haven't seen it, you should. Uh, here is always with me, the co-host of In the Clinch, the international man of mystery, Teddy Benders. Teddy, say hi to the people. It's good to be back. What's going on? Good. How you feeling, man? I know you're feeling a little under the weather, so. Yeah, I, I had a problem. My stomach's been acting up it's ever since I heard about the interim heavyweight title fight. <laughs> it's been making me extremely nauseous. Just sick to your stomach. heavyweight is a bigger <laughs> phrase for me. My therapist told me to avoid. Right. So yeah. we we will see how this goes. Yeah, and I'm sure the results of that fight didn't help that situation <laughs> at all. So real quick, right off the bat, let's recap. Sean Strickland versus Uriah Hall. Um, a fantastic fight for Sean Strickland. This kid is, uh, I, I don't think he's getting the shine he deserves, in my opinion. I think Sean Strickland's a super, super dangerous fighter. Dark horse of the uh, middleweight division. Uh, 24 and three now. He moves to 24 and three with a decision victory, unanimous decision victory over Uriah Hall. Uriah Hall moves to 18 and 10. Uh, sort of a textbook Uriah Hall loss. Seemed like he could never really get himself into the um, the groove that he wanted to. And there was times where he showed a little bit of flashes here and there. Couldn't really get anything going. And uh, Sean just dealt with him handily, as Sean Strickland seems to do as of recent. Sean Strickland, looking at the UFC rankings here, um, I believe he up in the rankings to number eight i don't know what he previously was but he's number eight now uriah hall is number 10 so we have sean strickland with the victory and right away booking another fight um i believe it was ufc 268 correct against ufc legend middleweight legend luke rockhold is coming back to fight for the first time in two years since his last fight which it was the best thing right he fought someone else. No, he, he yeah, just he lost to Jan Blachowicz. Jan Blachowicz, that's what it was. So two years ago, losing to Jan. Um, first fight in two years. This was a shock to me. I, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw the headline. that gave me a notification on my phone. I didn't think I was reading it right. But UFC 268, Luke Rockhold versus Sean Strickland. I assume that's – I don't know. That's probably not going to be the main event. Is that the main event? I don't know. For Maybe. what? Is it the main event for 260? It's not the main event, right? No, that's, no, that's uh, Usman versus Covington. That's Usman versus Covington, right? So that's and then Michael Chandler versus guy. Gaethje is the co-main. Okay. Oh, man. What, I mean, how about that for a stack? So, I mean, I assume he's in the third fight at least. I don't oh, know hey, there. they're not even done building that card yet, so right, we got so, more fights to come. So yeah. it's going to be a great night. Yeah, it's going to be a great night of fights. Um, I love that matchup, man. This is uh, really, if you haven't, heard Sean Strickland's name yet you will after that fight if he can pull out a victory against Luke Rockhold or vice versa Luke Rockhold all of a sudden joining the picture again um could be exciting in my opinion I texted you this right after call me crazy I think this kid Sean Strickland has all the tools to be champion in the middleweight division I don't know how long is he's going to fight how many times he's going to fight in between we haven't heard a lot out of Israel Adesanya as of recent we don't know what his next fight's going to be who it's going to be against I think the general consensus is probably going to be a rematch versus Robert Whitaker. Um, uh, does he have a fight? No. Does Whitaker have a fight booked? 
Nope, that's no, the yeah, one. So, yeah, that's the one that's, thing that's holding them up at the top. Yeah, I think that's more than likely where the UFC is going with this. Is another rematch between Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker. I think maybe they're waiting for COVID restrictions to die down, trying to go out and do another Australia card. But it doesn't look like that's going to be the case as they're on another lockdown due to the Delta variant going around. Just when you think it's over, uh, COVID is back with a vengeance. So we'll see how that affects these Australian fighters, i.e., Israel Adesanya. Volkanovski and the likes of Dan Hooker. We'll see um, how it looks like he, this kid, Sean Strickland, is just throwing a spark plug into this middleweight division that seems kind of dead at the moment because uh, of such a dominant champion as Rihanna Sanya. But I really do think this kid has the tools to get the job done. And I don't know about beat as he as of right now, but a couple more fights, and I think he could be right there. Man, I mean, it's it's tough for anyone to come out and say this guy's got the tools to beat Izzy just because he's so good technically on the feet. But um, yeah, if if you want to even talk about that, he's got to get through Luke Rockhold first, and that's a tough task. Uh, it's a tough matchup for both of them. But if you're Luke Rockhold, I, I think Sean is the most favorable matchup, albeit a tough one. Yeah, you know, Sean's got a ton of momentum right now, but Luke has also got some questionable boxing defense. Uh, However. Yeah more than questionable i would say <laughs> uh, to, to pair with a chin that's not too great although you know polish power all of that and right. the guys he's lost dude aren't necessarily soft hitters no, but no 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 not by any means but luke rockhold has been sparked so right. it, it, it begs the question can sean strickland put him away although he tends to have a reputation of not hitting too hard himself mm. where i think this gets interesting is if it, if they go to the ground because yes, luke rockhold yeah. has a world-class grappling game and he can keep Sean also at bay with his kicks when they're on the feet and dictate when the fight goes to the ground. Right. In my opinion, it's, it's a pick em fight. But if you're Luke, this matchup is the one you want to you want to have to jump. All right, bear with us here. We're over Zoom, obviously. So the Zoom problems are back, as is the Delta variant and all these different things. So bear with us here, folks. We're doing our best here, trying to pack everything into this show and doing it over zooming it. But you were talking about Luke Rockland's uh, ground game, which I totally agree with that. Uh, if he can, if it goes to the ground, it's Sean Strickland can be in some serious trouble. Yeah. But honestly, in my opinion, the key is that uh, Sean Strickland doesn't have as diverse of a kicking game. Doesn't do as well with range as Luke Rockhold typically has done in the past. So that means that Luke Rockhold can dictate where this fight happens. He can, kind of control when he wants to go to the ground and when he wants to be in danger on the feet to exchange. So yeah. that's going to present a unique set of challenges for Sean Strickland. Yeah. And I, I, this came as a surprise to me, obviously not a UFC insider. I don't have any sort of um, inside scoops or anything like that, that just the, the hearing about Luke Rockhold coming back, I haven't seen anything from him. I haven't seen any training videos of him. I didn't know he had any plans of a comeback. So I really don't know what Luke Rockhold's, uh, striking looks like or his training looks like what kind of conditioning he's in you assume that the a fighter like luke rockhold he's a legend of the ufc uh maybe didn't go out recently as well as he would like to have but his, his conditioning and his striking and everything is still world class despite the losses that he's had so it, it's gonna be a um, sort of a nate diaz tj dillashaw situation where it's like is he gonna come back and look as good as he used to look or is he is is the the company passed him by um but to, to further your point, if he comes back and looks like the Luke Rockhold of old, then um, I totally agree that he's got a he's he's levels above Sean Strickland, 
It's just a matter of, is he going to come back and look like the uh, Luke Rockhold of old and be able to hang out with a kid who is got a ton of momentum in the middleweight division right now. And um, a lot just a ton of pressure on him too. Cause it's also, I don't know, is this Luke Rockhold coming back and trying to make a title run or is he just coming back? Is he going to be gradual about it? Uh, it's still a top, the top five of the uh, middleweight division is nothing to be fucking fucked with by any means. I mean, you got Jared Conner, Marvin Vittori, Derek Brunson, Paul Acosta, Robert Whitaker, and Israel Asanya. So you can't jump back into that mix after two years off and expect to, one, get a title shot, or two, think that you can just hang out with any of these guys. Well, that's his mentality right now is he wants to go for the title right away. He wants to get a couple good wins, prove yep. that he's got it still in him because he thinks he's a good matchup for Israel Adesanya, albeit a good matchup for himself. Uh, one thing that I think has been glossed over in this buildup a little bit is that Luke Rockhold has been training at the, I believe it's RVCA gym. That is okay. the home gym of Michael Bisping. So they have they have kind of uh, mended their ways. They've been buddy-buddy in videos recently, nice. uh, which is good to see because, you know, th- there's no need to even be ha- like a serious rivalry, especially because Michael's already retired. They fought so long ago, but at one point they were they were heavy rivals. Yeah. Interesting to note is that, like we mentioned in the last episode, Sean Strickland trains at that same gym with Michael Bisping. And so Luke hasn't really made that his new home. He's just gone in there for a few reps every once in a while. Yep. But I'm curious if they have had any back and forth. Right. right. I totally agree. Yeah, maybe they've had some back and forth beef or like a, some sort of um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Some sort of confrontation within the, within the gym or something along the lines of that. Okay, now we've switched a few things up here. I think we should be good going forward. If not, we'll uh, we'll, we'll make ends meet. We'll figure it out here. Um, but we were just talking about how maybe uh, since they all train at the same gym, Luke Rockhold, Bisping, and Sean Strickland, maybe there was some sort of confrontation inside the gym or something along the lines of that. It could even be a friendly thing where they're like, hey, Luke's like, I want to come back. I want to fight. You're an up-and-coming middleweight. Uh, maybe they like each other. And he's like, I'll give you a shot. Maybe if I don't win, then it's the end of my career. And if I do win, then I get to bounce back and start something else. You still get a fucking high-profile fight against a huge guy on a big card. Uh, it could be a slew of different things. So we don't really know right now. But um, Well, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's very friendly. Uh, right. The latest headline from SB Nation says, Sean Strickland slams Rukop, slams Ru- Luke Rockhold for recent comments. I'm going to see you in the parking lot. So, I mean, he said he's going to slap him. So, oh. it doesn't sound like a friendly yeah. challenge. I mean, it's today. not too friendly then. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was described as feisty back and forth. So, I mean, we'll no see. Shit. I think the key, if you're Luke Rockhold here, is to conceive – believe and achieve that you can live inside. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Uh, also, uh, moving on here, before we go to 265, just real quick, if you haven't seen this fight, go back and watch it. Uh, it was, I forget the guy's full name. I have the last names here. Hold on one second. Brian Barbarena versus Jason Witt. This was a welterweight fight. It was a fantastic fight. The first fight on the main card. Haven't gone, but if you haven't seen it, you should. Go back and watch that crazy pace the entire time. Just a fighter's fight if you want something to kill some time. I believe it was a 15-minute full fight and the decision. I won't spoil it, I suppose, if you want to go watch that. Uh, Now we're going to move on real quick to UFC 265 and all of its controversy. And uh, we'll see if Theo can 
keep his lid on here trying to talk about it. Um, <laughs> we have the UFC 265 Cyril Gon versus Derek Lewis main event for the heavyweight interim title in Houston, Texas Toyota Center. Um, where do we begin? Uh, we can begin with the main event. We can talk about Jose Aldo, Michael Chiesa, uh, Casey Kenny lost, Angela Hill, Tisha Torres coming back, Fall River Native getting a win there. Uh, there's a slew of different things we can talk about here. I've used slew twice in the last two minutes. And what about Rafael Fazaya versus Bobby Green? What we can definitely talk about that. Uh, yeah, and stop us if you've heard this before on this show, but there was some judging controversy there. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you thought about it, but I definitely thought that Bobby Green, I don't think he won the fight, but he definitely won the third round. Uh, one exactly. judge had a 30-27. To speak back to what you talked about, I think it was two weeks ago, something that I was unaware of that you brought up to me was the whole media judging thing where like right. all the media members put on the thing. Not a single person had a 30-27, not one of them. No. So there's only one and judge. Important to note that Texas has a really, really bad reputation for commission. I thought yeah. overall for this event, they didn't do too, too bad. But no, like, man, the third round, Bobby Green outlanded a hot file to Zive, I think like 70 to 20 in strikes. Like, Yeah, like it wasn't even we- like... Like there what wasn't are we even, watching? Yeah, man. exactly. It was like, what, what the fuck fight were you watching? Honestly, like, honest to God, it just shows that these guys sometimes they just don't pay attention. That has to be it because even if you have an untrained eye, like right. any of our friends who don't really watch fights can watch and see that. Oh, like that guy totally won the round, you know. And something um, funny, even that I saw. Just sorry to cut you off real quick. Um, no. Listening to Anakin Florian, Anik said he had his two daughters watch that fight and just watch the final round, and they're like ten and eight, and they both were like the black eye one. Like, <laughs> it's like if these if John Anik's two daughters who don't even watch fighting can tell that this guy beat the shit out of this guy, it's what what the fuck are you missing? You're getting paid to tell us who won this fight and you can't get it right. I don't know. John Anik's daughters learning how to write in cursive and they know fights. Right. Buttons. Literally, <laughs> so, literally. Yeah, but that being said, I thought it was really interesting because for a while now, Fazai has been on my radar. He's he's a guy who throws with vicious intent. Yeah. Um he is delivered some devastating knockouts at lightweight and i thought he'd be a really good challenge right now for a guy like islam mahachev mm. after this fight against bobby green i would like to see him work a little bit more on his patience his his um fight iq i thought was a little bit lacking he was really really eager to get um shot heavy and throw a lot of combinations but this conditioning is well. Yeah, maybe, maybe he shouldn't. And then you, you saw him fade a little bit in the third round. That's where Bobby yeah, Green definitely. won. That's where Bobby Green had his best round was because he saw that Fazai was tiring out. And credit to Bobby Green, man. He's been in the game for a while now. He always brings a good fight. He won't always win. He does, he's not the most talented fighter, but, man, he makes it fun. He moves he, the needle. He he moves the needle. That's right. Um, Texas native. The crowd really got behind him. They're chanting Bobby yeah. the whole time. Yeah, that was awesome. It was just a great fight. Bobby's really good at making the guys miss and uh, always makes for a good fight. And a tough motherfucker, too. I mean, he was eating leg kicks in that third round. Oh, like, yeah. Leg kicks that was like, I couldn't believe he was still standing. Even He was just shaking them off. Nothing. Had to be in pain. He just wasn't showing it. Uh, Bobby Green moves to 27-12 and one all-time. Raphael Fazayev moves to 10-1-0 at lightweight. So I agree with what you said. It's a tough matchup for um, maybe some of the lower-ranked lightweights here in the lightweight division. But um, I also don't disagree that, yeah, he could be a tough fight for someone like Islam Akhachev. He definitely throws a ton. He throws very hard. It's just you can see that um, he was definitely fading in that late third rounds, big, deep, heavy breaths. Granted, 
He's fighting Bobby Green, a guy who's been around for a long time, a ton of like experience in the fight game, stuff like that. A very tough, awkward matchup for really anybody. Uh, but it's if you're gonna start, you, you got to be careful not to gas yourself up because there are there. I mean, there's guys better than Bobby Green that aren't gonna let you get away with that, especially like right. fight. And I don't think him fading in the third round is a sign of him having bad cardio. I mean, mm-hmm. he was just throwing at a crazy high pace yeah. with vicious intent with all those shots. So it, it's just one of those things where with more experience. Um, we'll see his potential live out higher than to what we think it could be. Yeah. Uh, just right now, he's not there yet, but his ceiling is still super, super high. So quite the character, to too. Quite, quite the, the character, character, yeah. Called out Hasbula after he after. did call out Hasbula, and uh, he's yelling at Bobby too, like the whole fight too. He, he was yelling and screaming and everything that. So exciting guy to watch, nonetheless. Um, despite the judging controversy, and I mean. I don't see an end to it anytime soon. So it kind of sucks, but it is what it is. Uh, something else I wanted to talk about too. Miles John had a very impressive uh, KO victory over Anderson Dos Santos. He's at Bantamweight. He moves to 12 and one now. Uh, definitely putting his name out there. I think he got either knockout of the night or performance of the night. I don't remember which one it was, but uh, an impressive win for him for sure. He had a fantastic knockout. And also, uh, Model Cop with the flying knee knockout over Ode Osborne. Uh, it's, it's, somewhat controversial i think maybe audie osborne could have had a little bit more time to try to recover but uh it didn't look good for him anyways those are two of the early prelim fights we'll move on to the main card now we have uh if you want to talk real briefly song young dong with the win over casey kenny he moves to 17-5 bantam weight uh i really like this kid i really do i think he's dangerous um, I, i'm excited to see him try to climb the rankings here at bantam weight and get his name into well into the rankings i should say He's unranked at the moment, but uh, he's a super interesting fighter and super dangerous fighter, as is Casey Kenny. So he gets Casey Kenny. I believe it was a decision victory. Yeah, it was. It was a decision victory. Uh, anything you want to say about that fight? I don't know if you saw it or cared. Man, I mean, it just it just kind of goes to show what we were talking about a few weeks ago on the show when we were discussing the guys who are likes of like Sean O'Malley in the Benway division. There's right. so many unranked guys at 135 that are so good. Yeah. It it begs the question. Like, I, I just want to see these guys like obviously like not in the top fifteen, but like can we get some sort of like clarity the top 20 of like, or something? Uh, yeah. yeah, can can we see how like the UFC like values these guys? Like right. I mean, I'm sure that there's a list somewhere at the apex where they have the unranked guys ranked. It, it, especially in a division right. like that, where they could like test it out, I guess. But yeah, I mean Sonya Don's got a bright, bright future ahead of him. Being a guy like Casey Kenny like that is just yeah, that he's a real test for you. Maybe yeah. uh, you a top fifteen guy, uh, Chio Vera, Cody Stamen come to mind. But what about uh, yeah, great fight. Just what you just said, Song on Don versus Sean O'Malley. Whoa. I don't hate that fight. That's Listen, two big I, names. Too. I don't hate it either. But two if, unranked if, big names. Yeah, I don't hate it either. But I want to <laughs> see both some fight ranked guys next. Yeah, in my opinion. But even even still, maybe after the next fight, they're both ranked. They can go at it, or even down the line, maybe they can both climb the ranks a little bit, and then when they fight each other, they'll be at their best. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't hate seeing those guys go together, for sure. Yeah. Uh, we have Tisha Torres, too. She gets the unanimous decision victory over Angela Hill. Tisha Torres, a Fall River native, moves to 13-5, and five, women's straw weight division. Um, Angela Hill, definitely a fan favorite. Kind of sucks to see her lose. But credit to Tisha Torres. She's putting together um, a few wins as of recent. She is in the women's straw weight, if I remember. Was it been? Yeah, straw weight. So I think she moves. Yeah, she moves up to nine from ten. Michelle Watterson in her swap spots. 
Uh, Angela Hill moves down two spots from 12 to 14. And um, Rose Amunis is the champion, so we don't have to talk about that anymore. Uh, well, I mean, I think it's important to note that Angela Hill fought five times last year. Yeah. Right? And she was praised a lot for that. And obviously you should. We, we love fighters to stay active and stuff like that. She was on a big winning streak as well. But now she's dropped her last two. And it begs the question, does that entire year of fighting, staying in peak shape the whole year, does that take a toll on your body? It Was it the best idea for her career longevity? Maybe not, but it did get her a lot of momentum at the time. So now after dropping her last two, it seems to be like she's maybe, she's maybe hit a plateau. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not the youngest girl in the division. So I hope that she's able to find a second win here, but it's not looking that great for Angela Hill right now. However, I hope she turns around. She's obviously a fan favorite. Always a good fight to watch. Yeah. Um, or to teach her, to teach her Torres. Um, yeah, and a little fun fact about Angela Hill. I don't know if you knew this or not, but her grandparents, Betty and Barney Hill, were like, I think it was like one of two of the first ever UFO abduction reports in the United States or something like that. So What? I swear to God, yeah. She is grandparents betty and barney hill look this story up they were in new hampshire and they were allegedly abducted by aliens it was like one of the first reports of it in the united states so there's a little fun fact for you about angela hill okay there uh, you go welterweight michael chiesa versus vincent luke submission victory for vincent luke in the first round 325 into the fight he moves to 21 7 and 1 all time michael chiesa down to 18 and 5 at welterweight um welterweight is such an interesting division right now we have, let's see, where Michael Chiesa, he's bumped down from the five spot down to the seven. Vincente Luque and him switch spots. Or I'm sorry, he went from, yeah, five to seven. Vincente Luque goes from six to four. So now he's right up in that top five, and he will be contending for the belt soon, I think, if he can string together maybe one or two more wins. Yeah, I. if anything, if we can go off anything, we can go off the champion's recent desires, right? Yep. Before he was scheduled to fight, Colby, after he had just beat Mazova for the second time, he wanted to fight Michael Chiesa on short notice-ish, like just a few-week camp, just because yep. he wanted to get active. He wanted to get a new opponent in there. Because his current thing is, listen, he's already beat Colby, Gilbert, right. Leon, Masvidal, like all these guys at the top, he's already beat them before. Right. So he wants he wants some fresh blood. So now Vicente Luque enters the top four. I mean, after this fight with Covington in November, who's to say that Usman won't fight Luque next, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's why, in my opinion, Gilbert Burns and Leon Edwards need a fight so that yeah. they can be a clear number one contender maybe after that or even jump the line before then. Um, I think if Vincente Luque fights either one of those guys and beats him, he's a clear number one contender. Yeah, for sure he is. But does he need to take another fight? Now we're at know. that weird, yeah, we're at the weird stage now where it's like, he could get a, a, the title shot without taking another fight. So do you take that right, risk? Right. It seems to me like he's the kind of guy who would. He loves pleasing the fans. He loves putting on a show. Yeah. He loves to fight. So it depends how active you him. want to stay, right? Because we've seen Kamaru Usman versus Kobe Covington one. We saw the fucking war that that was. Uh, how much time is it going to take if it goes anything like the first fight? Uh, there's going to be some much needed recovery time for both athletes. So it depends how long do you want to stay out of the fight game. Do you want to risk fighting again and dropping out of that top five or not getting that title shot? Do you just want to hang around and see if maybe Usman takes care of Covington uh, soundly? Because I think that's the only way you're getting a title shot is if Covington or Usman beats Covington and then immediately wants to stay active, takes the fight. Because if he loses to Kobe Covington, I can't imagine he doesn't get a rematch right away. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They definitely would run that one back. Well, yeah. 
I mean, you want to talk about becomes, if Kobe becomes champion, man, there's some crazy fights that can happen there. There's a chance he never fights again. <laughs> he might run away with that belt, literally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if Kobe, if Kobe wins this belt, we enter, like, the Twilight Zone. Like, yeah. I don't even know what would happen. They might have to just but, make a new one. Yeah, man. The problem that's plagued Welterweight for so long now is that a bunch of these top guys all want a title shot, but they don't want to fight each other for it. Right. That's the main problem. And when we see top guys who actually do fight when it's not in a title fight, they're fighting guys who rank way below them. Right. So Vicente Luque is the kind of guy who won't care. He'll fight anyone in the top five. It doesn't yeah. really matter to him. Yeah. That's gonna be that's gonna be like really refreshing to this uh, welterweight division. I think it's gonna provide us with a lot more movement because let's say Luque goes in there and he fights Gilbert Burns next. Well, now Leon Edwards is out on an island, right? He's kind right. of forced to fight somebody. Maybe he fights Stephen Thompson or Jorge Masvidal fights mm-hmm. somebody else, right? So. I think Luke is the guy who's really going to shake up this division. Whether or not he can really challenge for the belt is another discussion, but yeah, for sure. And he's definitely a dangerous matchup for Usman if they grapple because, as you saw, that Darsh choke, that's his second in a row. Nasty. Against Michael Chiesa, who is no slouch himself on the no, ground. No, and, I was going to say that. And Luke also got out of a crazy tight choke, just turned position and got him in a Darsh. Right. I, I was blown away by that. So, Vicente Luque is for real. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that he kind of has the top of this division in the palm of his hand and can do what he pleases with it uh, as of right now, depending on what the boss wants to do with him. And also you have Kamara Usman on the very cusp of butting into a superstar in the sport. So it's it's a matter of do you want to wait and take that money fight that's also a title fight with Kamara Usman, which seems like that's what a lot of these guys want to do. Or can you talk one of these guys into taking a fight versus you and uh, they can market it as maybe an interim interim i put that in quotes title fight something like that a number one contender fight uh yeah yeah be careful with that i word i know be careful uh speaking of the i word we're getting closer to the main event but first we're going to talk about the co-main event jose aldo jr versus pedro munoz uh jose aldo jr what can you say about this guy what more can we say about him that hasn't already been said uh in the bantamweight division now he is 30 and 7 all time in his MMA career, Pedro Munoz moves to 19, six and one, no contest. Uh, super impressive for Jose Aldo. His hand speed looked absolutely phenomenal to start the fight. Uh, he it looks like he's still got it, man. I mean, he stays. So he stays at the um, five spot here, and it looks like Pedro Munoz stays at the nine spot. No adjustments there in the rankings. But how good is Jose Aldo still at this point in his career? The king of Rio turned back the clock on Saturday night. I mean, Pedro Munoz came out flying. He threw a bunch of kicks, a bunch of low calf kicks, which if you've been paying attention recently, those have been pretty hard to deal with for a lot of people. But Jose just, yeah, he just effortlessly would lift and slightly turn out the leg. Like it looked like he wasn't even thinking about just instinct, just bang, bang, bang. Like, I don't think that Munoz landed any of those clean on him. And, um, you know, a lot of people have been critiquing Aldo recently because as he's come on to perhaps the back nine of his career, he's thrown much less leg kicks, which yep. if you paid attention during his prime in the WEC days, that's what was so devastating. We would chop up people's legs. Just yep. look at the Uriah Faber fight. I mean, right, good right. God, Disgusting. that man's leg was a plum. Look like he had a so, fucking beehive strapped to his leg. Yeah, it was disgusting. But what I was super impressive by Aldo was he had the wherewithal to not take the first round off, but just kind of let Pedro settle into his game. And then in the second round, he came out flying. He was really, really sharp with his boxing. And then the third round, he really piled on the leg kicks because 
he realizes, you know, if I throw a lot of leg kicks early on in the fight, I could potentially injure myself. Then I have to go two more rounds with a compromised leg. It's not going to fare well for me. However, if I start in the third round where I might already be ahead on the scorecards, and apparently a lot of people did have him up 2-0, yeah. as did I, he can afford to maybe be limping out of the octagon because he's not going to have to pay for that. Right. So, and also, he did a lot of work with uh, Navy boxing because he felt as though his boxing wasn't as sharp as it should have been. Huh. And boy, did it ever show in this fight. I mean, yeah, it did. I mean, dude, the hand he, speed was unbelievable. He's always had good boxing. But in this fight, it just seemed like he was very smart with his combinations. He was picking his shots, not forcing things. But when he went for it, man, he was throwing. To start the third round and to end the third round, he threw some crazy combinations. Yeah. Super quick, super hard. I mean, what a performance by Jose Aldo. He looked like he was five years younger in this fight. And also, yeah. did you know that Jose Aldo is younger than TJ Dillashaw? Um, I think I I didn't know that, but I knew he was much. I just found out he's a lot younger than I thought he was. He's like what, thirty-four or something like that. You know how old Jose Aldo was when he lost to McGregor? I he's twenty-eight. Guess he was twenty-nine. Yeah, twenty-eight. He's twenty-eight. Are you kidding? Me? Like he looks forty. He looks like shit. He, he, well, he's been fighting forever. That's <laughs> my point. It's like think about when he was a WC champion when he fought Uriah Faber. That feels like forever ago. He's only thirty-four. Like he's got obviously a lot of miles on him, but man, he did not look like it. I mean, think about that McGregor fight. Like, I can't believe either of them were in their 20s. Yeah. I mean, it was it was more believable because Connor hadn't been fighting for that long at that point. But, man. Uh, they just both look old. Yeah. They, well, <laughs> yeah. They're both dying to get to featherweight. And now, obviously, yeah, Jose's right. still dying to get to bantamweight. But, yeah, man. Just crazy how, how, we, how we think these guys are way older than they actually are. I know. I'm looking at this top five, and I'm just drooling at all these fight potentials. I mean, Jose Aldo versus Rob Font, fantastic. Corey Sandhagen versus Jose Aldo, fantastic. But the one that really strikes me is Jose Aldo versus TJ Dillashaw. I mean, you want to talk about a fight that you could fucking sell, 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 sell. Like, nobody's business. It's the return of TJ Dillashaw. Here's your true fucking test, kid. Uh, not that Corey Sandhagen isn't a true test. I think, obviously, there was some judging controversy in that fight as well. But uh, Jose Aldo versus TJ Dillashaw at bantamweight is a fucking fantastic fight. The one thing holding Jose Aldo back from this um, from this title, I think, is Piotr Jan. We saw him lose to Piotr Jan already, and uh, it, it's an interesting. To, I, I would love to see that rematch just to see the adjustments that he would make and if he could go in there and maybe give him a better fight. But he was giving Piotr Jan a hell of a fight before Piotr Jan ended up finishing him. Right, and he was competitive in that fight. And yeah. A lot of people like will gloss over that and kind of ignore it, but he really was. He really was. Um, he gave it his all not, for a round and a half or whatever it was. Dude. Not to mention, when, when we're looking at rematches, we're looking for a reason for it. Okay, why does this rematch make sense? Well, bingo, here it is. Jose Aldo looked incredibly well improved in this fight, which we don't see for a guy who's been in the game for that long. You know, apparently this old dog can learn some new tricks. So. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and... Aldo, of course, is always going to be a good matchup for Piotr Jan. That's always going to be a great fight. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll see how Piotr looks when he tries to reclaim his belt against Aljamain Sterling later this year. Yep. But, man, like, I, I wouldn't complain if they made that fight. No. However, there's so many good matchups. I mean, just look at the top five of Bantamweight. You got Piotr Jan, TJ, Corey Sanhagen, Rob Font, and now Jose Aldo's ranked at five. In, in my opinion, all right, so Piotr and Aljamain are going to fight, right? Yep. TJ, I think, is next in line no matter what. Yep. And he's going to be out for a while because he had that nasty cut in his face. He yep. went through a war at Sanhagen. So they'll, he said he'll be ready to go at the beginning of 2022. 
I'd yep. imagine he's the next guy in line, no matter who wins the belt um, between Kyoto and Aljamain. Mm-hmm. So why not put Rob Font versus Jose Aldo? Because in my opinion, at this point in his career, Aldo's not fighting backwards anymore. He fought Chido Vera, which was a, a lower-ranked opponent, yep. you know. And then he, he also just fought um, Pedro Munoz. Yep. So, in, and, and in my opinion, it's time for him to just move up. It's time yeah, for him to fight a guy in front of him. So, Rob Font, in my opinion, is that guy. Whoever Don't wins that point. fight... Whoever wins that fight is going to be the next for the belt after TJ Dillashaw. Dillashaw. But, I mean, even still, I can't complain with any of these matchups. I mean, look, we also got outside of top five. It's Marias, Garbrandt, who's going to move down to flyweight. But I'd imagine he's still fight Aldo no matter what. Edgar, who who may be Johnny. It seems like he is, but who who knows with him. Uh, We also got Dominic Cruz, uh, Asun Saud. Oh, I'm not even going to try and pronounce that guy's name. Marav Marav Vashavili. I think it's Marav Valishvili, if I'm or it might be Wallishvili. Yeah, good for him. I think it's Marav Wallishvili. Yeah, I I mean, like we've said for weeks now, Bantamweight doesn't matter who you match up, really. They're all gonna be great fights. But in my opinion, Aldo versus Rob Font is the fight tonight, is the fight to make. And stylistically, that's a great fight. Yeah, it's a fantastic matchup. It's exciting stuff. I mean, it, it, the bantamweight division, we've talked about it in nauseam. It's just, it's so good. It's the division that keeps on giving right now. And uh, it, it, I, I'd like to see him stay active and hopefully they can line something up for him quickly. I think Rob Font makes sense too, because uh, I, I, if he, it, it was a good fight from Aldo. Didn't take a ton of damage. Uh, I think he could come back and stay active and fight pretty quickly right after. So if Rob Font agrees to it, they agree to it. Rob Font's been off for a little while, coming off a victory as well. It's yeah, it's a great matchup stylistically. It's an exciting fight, and um, it definitely kind of solidifies this order of this pecking order for the belt in the bantamweight division. Absolutely, absolutely. So now we'll move on to the main event of UFC 265. Derek Lewis versus Cyril for the interim heavyweight title belt. Cyril Gan goes to 10 and 0 with a TKO victory in the third round, late third round over Derek Lewis, who moves to 25, 8 and 1, no contest in his career. Um, you have voiced your opinion multiple times on why you don't like this fight. I think we all know why no one likes this fight, uh, at least for the interim belt. But we have Derek Lewis now moving down from uh, two to number three. Stephen Miocic moves from number one contender down to two. Cyril Gan is the interim champ, so he will face Francis Ngannou next whenever they decide to book that fight for the heavyweight championship belt. We don't know when that's going to come yet. We have no fucking clue because Dana White has royally fucked up this division. Um, where do we begin? I think we begin by uh, demanding – I demand – that Dana White apologizes to Derek Lewis for how bad or just how dirty he did Derek Lewis uh, with this entire fight, with this entire event. Uh, you one, you make it a fight that he can't win, and then you make it in his hometown, and you try to sell it like, oh, like if he wins, he'll have a belt, and then he'll get to fight for the title. Um, this wasn't a winnable fight for Derek Lewis. I mean, theoretically, a fight is a fight. Anything can happen. But I don't think anybody had. I, I had Derek Lewis – by a finish, um, that was just kind of betting with my heart. It wasn't really what I thought was going to happen. I think more of what I wanted to happen because I don't like Francis Ngannou's odds, quite frankly, against Cyril Gaon either. But, I mean, it kind of sucks also for Cyril Gaon because now he's looked at as the bad guy because he, – Right, he, and he's he, a great guy. Fam- yeah, he's a great guy. And he 
beats a fan favorite and now he's gonna go challenge for a belt uh against another fan favorite in the champion francis Ngano, and i think more than likely beat him as well though i believe he opened as the underdog Man, like there's obviously so much to unfold with this but the main problem with this fight was just the matchmaking okay yeah. so let's go back to march francis Ngano defeats Stephen miocic for the heavyweight title undisputed yep. title right John Jones is already moving up to heavyweight. Yep. And immediately, you never see this on ESPN, on regular sports center, but they're not even discussing UFC. The analysts want to see John Jones versus Francis Ngannou because right. that's a fight that translates to the mainstream. That fight, I don't care what anyone says, that does at least a million pay-per-views, at least. at least. And in this era, in the ESPN era, post-pandemic where everyone's, well, I guess not post because Delta's coming back, but in a year yeah. where there were so many new UFC fans made, You've got to make the big fight. You've got to make the big fight with John Jones, arguably the greatest fighter of all time, versus the scariest heavyweight ever, Francis Ngannou, who can just erase someone with one shot. Yeah. So that fight, it almost made too much sense. And when the UFC, when Dana White comes out and says he didn't want to pay John Jones as much as he wants, dude, like it's it's pennies in a freaking bucket. Like it doesn't matter. Which it's yeah, yeah. Go ahead. they just signed like a hundred million dollar deal with crypto.com like they're not you're not hurting for money like who are you kidding right. it's just it makes no sense to me that they didn't make that fight okay but that's in, here or there whatever i guess they don't make that fight but then they, they told us in april Derek lewis will be next for Ngano. jones will fight the winner of that okay that's fine because Derek lewis is a fan favorite that's a mm-hmm. good fight him versus uh Ngano's a rematch of a fight that we were promised was going to be good the first time it turned out not to be But we're led to believe it's going to be much more action-packed the second time around. Okay, I buy it, you buy it, we all buy it, we all want to see it, especially if it's in Houston. Unfortunately, Francis can't do it in Houston, but a month later he can. For some reason, and this is where it gets troubling, they decide to make the interim fight with um, Cyril Gaon and Derek Lewis. Now, Cyril Gaon, not as well-known, not as much of a fan favorite yet because he's still so new in his MMA career. That was his 10th performance in his mixed martial arts career. He's like three years into fighting. Exactly. Exactly. Like training. I'm saying actually training, not fighting training. And albeit he's a great fighter. He is championship level. He is the championship caliber guy. Yeah. But what is the rush to get him to the top echelon so fast? What is the rush, especially now when you can market this guy behind the powerhouse that is ESPN to get him more fans, to build him up more. Right. So just give him. It's, it's a broken record that we've seen with the UFC a thousand times. Right. So just give him more fights. Not easy fights, but fights that he can get into. Where he this, can is get a welterweight, I mean, a this is a heavyweight division that's not even that deep. So you can give him fucking plenty of fights that he can win. Right. But now, so, okay, so we missed out on, let's keep track here. John. I mean, Jones no offense, but who is Augusto Sakai? He's number nine right now. Who is Shamil hey. Abdurhamagov? I don't even know how to say it. I have never even heard of him. Heavyweight is extremely shallow. But right. let's keep track. So you could just the, feed this guy fucking fights, but go ahead. The, the UFC has now fumbled. I digress. They have fumbled booking Jones and Ghana, which would have been a huge fight, right? Yep. That crosses over to the mainstream. And Ghana versus Lewis, which is that's not as big of a fight, but hardcores like us would love it, right? Right. They've also missed out now on um Stipe Miocic coming back and fighting Gano for a trilogy, which, by the way, he kind of deserves as the greatest heavyweight right. ever. 
And since he just went back over the DC and now they don't want to give it to him because it's Nganu and they want to build him up more. It, it makes no sense to me. That's three high profile fights. The UFC missed out on for quite literally no reason. And if you're saying, Oh, well, Cyril Gans clearly the best heavyweight out of all of them. And he deserves to fight for the belt. Fair enough. He can fight for the belt after they do, because at right. the end of the day, the UFC wants to make money. Uh, right. If anything else, they want to make money by putting on big fights and getting people excited. Right. Cyril Gaon can fight Francis Ngannou or John Jones or Jack Lewis, whoever is holding the uh, undisputed belt, after that. Because now, these fights, the buzz is gone. They're not going to be made because right. everyone's positions is wrong. So right. it's just terrible matchmaking, and that's my main problem with it. Of course, I don't have a problem with Cyril Gaon getting any shine or having undisputed gold wrapped around his belt or any of that. Because Cyril Gaon's deserving. He's high level. But the timing and the matching in this is just amateur. And I can't believe the UFC has been doing this for years to let this happen. Yeah. Um, it, 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 so we were texting about this uh, before. And I'm trying to go back and find the text messages. Um, I, I, I think what, what happened is... Uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. Hold on. We were talking about why we were just like, why, why do we think this happened? Um it's all speculation at this point. It's all speculation. Okay, here we can't say for sure. So you were talking about how Dana and Francis' relationship wasn't as good right now. This is my theory. I think that he wanted Francis to fight soon and stay active, which Francis said he wanted to do. Francis said he wants to stay active, he wants to take fights. This is right after he wins the heavyweight title belt. Uh yeah, right after he wins the heavyweight title back in March from Steve A. He says, I want to stay active, I want to keep fighting. But he also wants to like take some time off. He's a champion. He's been working his ass off for this. He's an incredible story. He wants to take the belt back to Africa, to his hometown, show them that it's possible, yada, yada, all these different things. I think he wants to go back to Africa. Uh, Dana says no. Francis says, fuck it. Kill yourself. I don't care. I'm going. So then Dana's like, okay, bet you want to go back to fucking Africa? Watch this. Gives fucking Derek Lewis this interim. Gives Cyril God the interim title match versus Derek Lewis because he knows – Cyril Gaon can beat Derek Lewis handily. This is what happens. And I think he thinks that Cyril Gaon can beat Francis as well. So I think it's just it's just Dana's ego. Like, getting in the way again, somehow he's let it completely take over this heavyweight division. And I think he's doing this as a fuck you to Francis and Gaon. Uh, we could have made you this money fight. We could have made you this money fight. We could have made you this money fight. And said, here's a fight that you'll probably lose. And it's not going to do as many buys. You have as many buys as any of these other fights would have done. Yeah, I mean, it just the hard it part, seems that way. It seems that way to me. It does. I can see how it can seem that way. But the problem is that the only thing that we really know for certain about this situation is that Derek Lewis, or excuse me, Francis Ngannou and Dana White have not had a good relationship in the past. It right. was mended for a little bit, but now it seems to be back on the outskirts. Right. You know, when, when we talk about uh, people who interview Dana and Francis, and even Francis's coach has been in the media a lot recently, too. Everyone involved has a reason to lie. Francis has a yeah. reason to lie to make himself look good. Dana, as a promoter, is kind of supposed to lie a lot of the time. Right. Um, so solid. really, I, I can't take any of their words like for truth. No. But what I do know is that relationship is terrible. And there's something happening behind the scenes that we don't know about. What that uh, is, yeah. I mean, we could sit here all day and speculate right, about what right. it could be. At the end of the day... It's got to come down to money of some sorts. I don't think Francis was asking for too much or, you know, something like that. I think Dana White had an opportunity to make money in Houston 
that he wasn't going to pass up on, especially since, and I hate to bring it up because he himself said that it was not done simultaneously, but they signed an exclusive deal to keep doing fights in Houston. And Derek Lewis is a big part of that because he's from Houston. The fans love him. Obviously, you saw the ovation he got yep. every time he was in front of the fans. So and I, what I believe is that Dana White recognizes that Derek Lewis moves the needle, especially in Houston. So he was going to have him fight no matter what. And he didn't want to headline a pay-per-view without a title fight on it. So he kind of just threw it together because Cyril Gaon had just beat uh, Volkov, uh, I think, a few weeks before on a fight night in Las Vegas. He had the most momentum. Nobody else on the top really mattered. He said, okay, fine. And Gano, you want to try and power play me and say no? Well, guess what? I'm boss. I can call the shots. I do whatever I right. want. So I guess in a little bit of way, it is eco. But at the same time, I can see how that logically could happen. But still, it doesn't have to happen. And when you're dealing with a company that's worth billions and billions, that's a publicly traded company backed by ESPN and Disney, this is just a terrible choice. It's a terrible choice. There's so many other fights that they could have made to headline the card. It, you could have just had Derek Lewis being the co-main against someone in a fun fight. Like, right. like you were talking about, yeah, heavyweight's a little shallow. Just throw him a bone. Throw him a bone. You threw Sean O'Malley a bone with Chris Moutinho. Why can't you throw Derek right. Lewis a bone when he's in Houston? It, it's just it, – I, I go back and forth on it. I can't even bring myself to care about it anymore because I truly – There's no sense to make of it. I, I had to I had to force myself to watch the main event because I just yeah. knew. And it's not it's not that I don't find Cyril Gaon exciting because I see a lot of people give him shit for that. He's not a boring fighter by any stretch of the means. I just we all just knew it was gonna happen. There was no suspense in it for me. I didn't I, mean, I didn't this was Derek Lewis DC. It's the same I didn't want to see Derek Lewis get beat in front of his hometown. I'm sorry. I didn't want right. to watch it. But it, I mean you fed him to the wolves. You fed him to the wolves. You really did. They fed him to the wolves for sure. And if you know fighting, you know Derek Lewis has the tendency to beat guys maybe when he shouldn't, i.e. the uh, Volkov fight. In the Derek Lewis fight. says it. Yeah, Derek Lewis himself says it. And listen, swing, swanging and banging like swanging Derek Lewis banging. said, it works at a certain level. Cyril Gaon is not the guy to try that with because as you saw, right. um, do you know how many strikes uh, Derek Lewis landed in the first round? I'm going to guess not a lot. Three. Right. Fucking Three. And to his credit, that's his style. He waits for the opportunity to hit the knockout shot. He's not a yes. volume guy. He's never been a volume guy. No. But Cyril Gaon is. He can control distance. He can make sure he's not in vulnerable spot for Derek Lewis to actually hit him hard. So this fight was never going to go down with Derek Lewis getting his hand raised. I'm sorry. It just wasn't. It was terrible matchmaking. And this is just a huge mess now. Yeah. And Derek Lewis, like, we're not dissing Derek Lewis in any way because he said it himself. He's not that good of a fighter. He's, and if you watch him, he's not that good of a fighter. He's really not. But he's exciting. He has unbelievable knockout power. One of the heaviest hands in UFC's history, whether you want to admit it or not. I mean, he hits just as hard as Mark Hunt, just as hard as Lesnar ever did. Tied for most knockouts. Yeah, it's it, it's like it, the guy hits fucking hard. He's exciting. He has all the highlights. He's never out of a fight till he's completely out of a fight. But this matchup didn't make sense for him. It's but he's not going to say no to a fight, especially in his hometown. And Cyril Gane is, or Gane is, incredibly athletic for a heavyweight. Incredibly athletic. Uh, his movement's ridiculous. He doesn't move like a heavyweight. He moves like a fucking welterweight. He moves around crazy. His striking's fantastic. His ground game's fantastic. It's a terrible matchup for Derek Lewis. Everybody knew it going in. I mean, we're beating a dead horse now at this point, but it's it's true. And he, Derek Lewis, I don't think he's going to go on another run like this at the top of this division. I mean, he caught lightning what? in a bottle, and you're giving him 
a massive matchup versus Francis, and they're both uh, they're both healthy this time because that's what we found out after the first fight. They both had significant injuries. That's why the fight went so poorly. That's why it was one of the worst fights ever. But you can market it again as the second fight. It's not going to go. It can't. It literally can't go as bad as the first fight did. It's still <laughs> scary. And also, you have all of these new fans, like you were saying, that maybe not didn't even see the first fight. So who fucking knows? It could have been. It's just. It's such a mess now. You made it such a mess of one of the worst divisions in the company right now. And it's all, I think it's just all ego driven, which is sad, but it's true. Devil's advocate, Cyril Gaon versus Francis Ngannou, although it's a tough matchup for Ngannou, that's a great fight, right? It is a good that's fight. It's still a great fight. It's a great fight. It's, a, it's very interesting. And also, if you want to throw John Jones in the mix, Jones versus Cyril Gaon is a, that's a crazy super, fight. That's a fantastic fight. That's the fight that's, I want to see. I'd rather see that than Ngannou. That's a guy who can hang with John Jones on the feet and give him a lot of problems. Yeah. That and that's at heavyweight, a guy who moves like that at heavyweight for John Jones. Cyril Gaon might move he might move better than um Jan Blahowicz or Dominic Reyes or any of those guys at 205. He's that good. So yeah. I mean John Jones going up to heavyweight, the thought process is these guys will be slower. Uh-uh, not Cyril Gaon. No. So man, that's another great fight too. But yeah. at the end of the day, we could have had that fight along with Jones versus Ngannou or Ngannou versus Lewis. And this all or loops back Ngannou to versus Stipe, three or any loop, of those guys versus Stipe. It loops back to the whole fighter pay thing, too. I mean, we saw it with um, what's her face fucking crying over 50 grand. And it's like now you're missing this fight because you don't want to pay these guys what they're what guys and girls what they should be getting paid. These guys, there is no excuse anymore to not be paying these fighters more. There's no excuse. I understand it's not like boxing. It's not as big as boxing and stuff like that. It hasn't been around as long. But I, even a slight increase, double the fucking... You could easily do that. I mean, or even give them one and a half times more. Maybe not double one and a half times more than you're already paying them. I mean, these people are making fucking 12 grand a fight on the prelims. Like, you tell me you can't give them 30 grand, 24 grand, something like that, instead of 12? You have to think about how much... I mean, 50 grand is barely a livable wage at this point in this country so you have to fight two times in a year and win both those fights to make a livable wage you know what i'm saying and it's and you're on the prelims you're not a huge name there's a million other people that want to fight on these prelims you got to try to like move these guys around so it's it's a huge shitstorm that the ufc needs to address but it seems like what they've done in the history in their past is they see these problems and they just sweep them under the rug and it's forgotten about and they pay the superstars and they just market the big names, stuff like that. So I, that's I, the, I don't know. I don't know why you're not paying John Jones. There's no excuse. No excuse. That's the Unless he's asking for $300 million or something, which if it's something astronomical like that, which I guess isn't out of the question with John Jones. It he's could not. possibly, but I don't think it is. I mean, you know. He's not even asking for $20 million. He's not even asking for 20 I pay him 20 Exactly. All right. So here's what I want to get into, right? The NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL. All, all these major sports organizations, um, their revenue share. Do you know how much revenue share that is that they that they give to the athletes compared to the management? It's close I, to fifty percent. It's right. usually like anywhere from like forty eight to 50, 51. You know, it's it's right around fifty percent. Do you know what that percentage is for the UFC? I'm gonna guess it's around ten. It's between five and twenty percent. Right. Disgusting, especially right. in a sport with such high dire consequences in a sport that's grown so much over the past few years, that can only be described as disgusting. And the revenue these, is you. 
Exactly. It's the fighters. Well, devil's advocate at some, at a certain level, it is no longer about the promotion. If, if the guys in the prelims, they're promoted by the UFC. They're not doing their own promotion because they don't have as many fans. So right. I understand that. But like, dude, Conor McGregor, Jorge Masvidal, Nate Diaz, those guys don't need the UFC. They don't. I'm no. sorry. If if Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz got released like today and they just had their own promotion and they fought, it wouldn't make a fucking difference in the pay-per-views. It wouldn't matter. People wouldn't people aren't buying the pay-per-view because it's the UFC. They're right. buying it for the fighters. They're buying right. it for the main card guys. And even still, even if they weren't, like the sheer percentage, 20%, right. 20% of the revenue. And by the way, the UFC is making them walk out with the crypto.com t-shirts on. They're getting nothing for that. Back in right. the day when they used to get their own sponsors on, the banners they would have behind them when they're getting introduced by Bruce Buffer and they'd have all their sponsors on their shorts. They took that away from them because that's kind of where they made up for their money a little bit in the past. Now it's just gone completely. Right. So, John, if you want to be – if you want to break in the UFC, right? Let's say you're on Daniel Ice Contender Series, which, by the way, is a joke of a prospect pool to begin with. Right. If you want to get into the UFC – and you want to fire in the prelims, you're making 10000 a show and 10000 to win. Oh, and by the way, sometimes you can win a fight and it's just taken from you because the judges are terrible sometimes, right? Yep. So you're half your pay gets deducted. And oh, by the way, sometimes you can have a whole camp and then your opponent will pull out in the last second and you don't get to fight at all. So you don't get any show money or any win money. And you still got to pay your trainers, your managers, all of that. And so, you're gone too. It's not like they're like, oh, we'll get you next week. Exactly. They've got so many fighters, they kind of can't just cater to everybody like that, right? right? That's why the percentage needs to be up. There needs to be some sort of insurance they can fall back on in case something like that happens. So it's just been a problem that's been going on for years and years at this point. I will say the one glimmering hope that athletes have and fans of the sport have that wants these guys get paid is the UFC is now a publicly traded company, which means all of their financials are going to be put out to the public, which yep. means they're going to be held more accountable by the public, by the media, by the commissions to pay these guys what they are worth. Um, you know, they've tried doing unions in the past. I know GSP uh, had some troubles getting a union together back in the day when he wanted to get paid more. Uh, TJ Dillashaw was also a problem with that. Conor McGregor didn't want to get involved. But, man, like, the, what's it going to take for these guys to get paid what they're worth? What's it going to take? I, I couldn't tell you. I, I don't know. Because it, I think if you're Dana White, you look at it and you're like, I mean – they people keep watching, so fucking, you know, it's, it's exactly it's, it's a tough the day, thing because it people. It's like we're, I'm not going to stop watching just because they're not paying. It's like it's just something I'm too invested in. Right. It's, it's <laughs> man. Like even I even dislike how people say at the top, like, oh, at least Conor McGregor's getting paid what he's worth. He's not, he, and that sounds right. crazy to say because he's getting millions and millions. But dude, the amount of money that just that guy generates for the company. He should get paid. He should get Floyd Mayweather money. Look I mean, you want to talk Floyd about money. what Conor McGregor did for the? I mean, Conor McGregor saved the UFC in a sense. Yeah, I mean, you can have your opinions about him either way, especially with how he's been lately. Oh, but yeah. dude, compare Conor McGregor to what Floyd Mayweather's made in his career. They should be equals. They should be equals. Yeah. Just I, look at how that. Look at how much they sell. Floyd sold slightly more. He's had the big fight to Pacquiao, and he's been doing it longer on pay per view more and more. I get that, but percentage-wise, when he has a big fight, when Floyd Mayweather um, has a fight with Logan Paul that has a million buys, he got like a hundred like million dollars or more than that. Think if about Conor McGregor sells a million buys today, he gets $20 million. Right. That's a joke. Right. That's a joke. 
Think about, like, I've said it now. I, I believe I've said it already. I mean, I'm totally out on Conor McGregor. I am no longer a Conor McGregor fan. I can't, I mean, he's a fucking clown in my opinion. He's, I don't know what he's, has happened to him as of recently, but I can't stand anything he does anymore. I think he's a fucking prick. Uh, he's always been a prick, but at least he was funny before. Now he's just a like, complete asshole about it. But to his credit, I mean, there is no ESPN deal without Conor McGregor. There's no uh, – Khabib does not become a household name without Conor McGregor. In my opinion, I think Khabib's always been incredibly talented. He's one of the best champions, one of the best – probably the best lightweight fighter of all time. That's fair but to say. Conor put him over, yeah. Conor made him a household name where you're like, holy right. shit, like this guy is like – now people are looking at him. There's no TJ Dillashaw versus Cody that – he started that entire thing on the fucking whatever. Yeah, he did. He literally put that him. together. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know anything about that. He does his research. He knows about that shit. Um, Nate Diaz too. Nate Diaz. He puts Nate Diaz on the map for a lot of people. Nate Diaz, granted, already a savage. A lot of people who are hardcore fans know about him. Puts him on the map though. Uh, there's no. I, I mean, you could go on and on about different things that Connor has done. I mean, he transcends the sport and makes the UFC what it is. Um, it, is, it is absolutely no coincidence that just after the rise of Conor, the UFC sold for $4 billion. That's right. no coincidence at all. Conor McGregor made the UFC what it is today, as of recent. In the last, let's say, seven years. The, the, the yeah. jump that they have taken from, like, just strictly hardcore fans watching it, and occasionally there'd be a guy, i.e. the Brock Lesnar, Chuck Liddell, stuff like that, John Jones. But, like, even, like... I'm trying to think, like, who was, like, the superstar before him even that uh, – Brock Lesnar? Like Chuck Liddell? Brock Lesnar, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's like – and Brock Lesnar only is because he's going to WWE too, and now he all of a sudden decides to make that jump and ends up being successful in MMA, which is the reason I think people got excited because it's like, look at this guy who's not an MMA fighter coming in. Now he's the champion. Uh, yeah. But that was Ronda years ago. Ronda Rousey. Um I, I guess John Jones, but I mean, really, it's like not if you're, like that. Not no, like not that. In that category. Then you introduce Conor McGregor, and he just takes off into stardom. Everybody knows who Conor. My fucking mom knows who Conor McGregor is, and she doesn't know anything about the UFC. So it's like he's done that. He's brought it in. He builds it up. Four point six million dollars they sell for, and you're telling me you can't give John Jones thirty million fucking dollars for this <laughs> exactly. fight? Exactly. Are you out of your fucking stone, Dana White? It's. But then again, to Dana White, I mean. He, if I was him, I might be doing the same fucking thing. I'd be like, why would I give him thirty million? Everyone's gonna watch anyways. It doesn't matter. I mean, I don't care. You know, don't like me. Don't like me. I don't care. I don't care. You, you know what the craziest thing is that nobody ever talks about, right? Go back to the Mayweather McGregor fight, right? Yeah. How much did Floyd get for that fight? Three hundred million dollars. Something like that. Yeah. Who was Floyd's promoter in that fight? I Floyd think. Mayweather. Right. He was his own promoter, right? Conor McGregor, who was his promoter in that fight? Conor McGregor. Dana White. No, Dana White was oh, his well, yes. promoter okay, for that yeah, fight. Because yeah. the UFC had to co-promote it to sign off on it. Right. How much did Conor make for that fight? I guess $100 million. Oh, 100 million yeah. That's no coincidence either. Right. Dana White, I don't want to say he stole from Conor, but man, like he, that, that fight is not big because of Dana White. Don't get No. Dana White it's is not just big. riding Conor's coattails. I mean, I don't even really want to say that because Dana did give him the opportunity to become a star. I know, you know? but it's I but mean, like man, like uh, I mean, but Dana's I, I not selling these fights. This. It's Connor's personality that is selling all of his fights. 
Great. I mean, the you problem. want to really break it down to brass tacks, be like, yes, Dana has to make the commercials, Dana has to make the merch, Dana has to talk about him. But it's not, you're not like, who's this Dana, who's this guy Dana White's talking about? You're like, who the fuck's this Conor McGregor kid? Right. That And this circles back to, remember when in uh, 2012 when the NHL had their slight lockout, it was over, yeah. it was over the same exact issue, um, uh, revenue sharing, right, between right. the players and the, and, um, and management. Basically, the management, the CBA had just come up. They're going to do a new deal with the player association. The players want to get close to 50%, but um, because they were, I think they're somewhere around 30 or 40, which they deserve more, albeit. Yeah. Um, and they eventually did get their way. They got closer to 50. But for a long time, it was a debate. It was like, well, do you watch the NHL for the athletes or do you watch it because Gary Bettman's really good at his job? Like, right. that's really what we're talking about here. Dana White and UFC, they do a great job promoting. And they if, do. If, if, not, if not for them, listen, I don't have a job if not for Dana White. Right. I got to be honest. I'm not doing this. I'm not flying out to Vegas, having time in my life if it's not for Dana White. But at the end of the day, man, pay the fucking fires what they're worth. Give them the right percentage. Yeah, I, Five to 20%, that's a fucking joke. And I'm not discrediting Dana White for what he's done up to this point because Absolutely. he has built this company literally from the ground up uh, with Sean Shelby and with the other guy who's name I fucking forget. But the Virginia's. yeah, they have built this company from the ground up. But dude, you're at a point now. I mean, you fucking made it. You sold it for four point six billion. Like you did it. This is the goal. You did it. Now you can keep growing it and making money for yourself, obviously. But this was the goal. The goal was to make right. a crazy fucking multi-billion dollar company like the NFL, like the NHL, like the MLB, like the NBA. You did it. You've done it. It's there. It's over. You sold it. You've got the money pay the fucking fighters it is time to pay the fighters there is no there's no fighters association there is no these guys can't fend for themselves there's no collective bargaining in the ufc it's there's what no the boss there. says it's what he says goes and it's such a it's such a different sport from every other sport obviously we know that because it's just you it's not you're not on a team um it's just you but in a sense, these guys are all on one team, which is they're all fighters. They're all doing this. They're all up and coming. Um, it's just that's such a higher competitive sport than any other major sport in the world. So it's a super slippery slope and interesting case. But <clears throat> if you're going to tell me that there's nothing that can be done about this, I think you're out of your mind. There absolutely is something that can be done about it. What it is, I don't know. I don't have the answer for it. But I think maybe some sort of fighters association, some sort of union like that. Take right. some upper echelon guys. Take guys that are old. Uh, bring in Chuck Liddell, GSP. Um, Stephen Thompson comes to mind. Someone like that. That Just people who are smart. Kamara Usman, um, Anthony Smith. These kind of guys that are just – that people like, they gravitate towards them. Um, make them the head of some sort of association and start fighting for your rights or else – I, it's tough too because the UFC has completely monopolized the fight market. So it's like you can't go to Bellator. You're not going right. to get the same amount of uh, exposure or revenue that you're going to get at the UFC. So it's really like these guys have nowhere to go. It's either like you just sign here and this is as good as it gets, or you can try and become the superstar at a lower promotion. That I mean, I'll be honest, I've never fucking watched a single Bellator event in my life since Anthony Pettis <laughs> versus uh, fucking Gilbert Melendez or whatever. Was that right? I don't even know. I don't think so, but Showtime we'll keep kick. going. The Showtime kick, whatever that was. That was oh, that's WBC. That's not even Bellator. Oh, whatever that was. That's the only other like <laughs> non-UFC fighting event I think I've ever watched in my life. Maybe some LFA stuff. And I love fighting. I just like, I don't know where to even find it. I don't know where, where the fucking channel is Bellator on. I don't even know. <laughs> it changes. I think they just got on Showtime, but yeah, yeah it like, changes all the time. But you may 
made a great point. The revenue sharing, you know, when you're building up the company, when you've got guys like Chuck Liddell and Tito, like that era of the UFC, mm-hmm. it was like, it was only the, the adult video section of cable. Like it was next right, to the it was point. taboo. Like, people, it was crazy. Like, the UFC, it was crazy taboo. People in a cage elbowing and bleeding everywhere. Like right. it wasn't successful early on. It, it just wasn't. So in that time period, revenue sharing at five to twenty percent made sense because if they didn't the usc would just go under and we wouldn't have a promotion right now but now now they're making so much money that model is so outdated it's gross now is the time to switch the model up increase revenue sharing put more to the fighters that's all we want to see and to your point about a union the only way in my opinion a union happens is if all the champions just go on strike yeah if all the champions or like maybe like Connor, Nate, Mazadal, um, Jones, like all the top draws, Izzy. Like if, if everyone who's a top draw just decides to hold out until everyone gets paid fairly, I, then that would actually pressure them. But would they really do that? I don't think so. Not even that. It's even if they do do that, look what we did. We just saw it this weekend. They'll just fucking give it to someone else. Exactly. Well, Dana says, all right, fine. Give me your fucking belt. I'm stripping you. I'm the boss. I'm in charge. You signed the contract. This is what I can do, and I'm doing it right now. And then you're going to tell me that fucking Cyril Gon's not going to take the belt and become the champion just because uh, guys below him, like, he has an opportunity to get paid. He's going to get paid in his next fight. He's not going to reject the opportunity to take the belt and get championship-level pay just because, and I, I mean, maybe well. if he's a super nice guy, but it's, it's, it's such a tall task to ask of these people who have been grinding their entire life. I mean... And who are not getting paid well in the first place. They can't afford Who are not getting fight. paid well in the first place. Exactly. That's that's been the problem with getting a union together in the past is these guys can't afford to go on strike because they got to fight because they need to get paid because they get paid so little. That's why the UFC pays them so little because they you stay think, hungry. Do you think like, Paulo fucking cost is going to be like, no, nah, it's fine. I, I'll hold out. No. <laughs> no. No. Not even close. Right. They'll just go down the line. They're just going to go down the line until someone... Maybe six guys in a row say they're holding out. Bam. The seventh ranked guy in fucking Walter right now is the champion. Like, it's just, right. I, I think Dana's strong arm everybody, and there's nothing anyone can really do about it right now, unless every goddamn fighter goes on strike. Right. I mean, I, I honestly, I can't even begin to imagine what it would take to get to a different know. point now, but oh, man, something, something's got to be done about this. It's disgusting. Yeah. I, I wish I had an answer for it or. You know, I mean, we can throw out a million theories, but it is what it is, unfortunately. Yeah. Wrapping up here, we'll get towards the end of the episode here. We're going to preview um, real quick, Jerry Connier versus Kelvin Gastelum. That will be Saturday, August 21st. So not this weekend, the following weekend at 10 p.m. from the UFC Apex Center. That will be on ESPN Network, not ESPN Plus, but also on ESPN Plus if you have that. Uh, Jerry Connier versus Kelvin Gastelum in the main event here at middleweight. Uh, Calvin Gastelum won't stop taking fights, so we love him for that. He is ranked number nine. Jared Connier is ranked number three. Massive fight for Calvin Gastelum. If he wins this, looking at a possible rematch with Izzy at some point in the near future, that would be a fantastic fight. Also in the co-main event, lightweight legend Clay Guida, 36-17-0 in his career, fights 10-0 Mark Madsen. Um, not sure how many fights Clay's got left in his tank, but, you know, fucking always exciting to see Clay Guida fight. Heavyweight fight matchup, Parker Porter versus Chase Sherman. Lightweight, Vink Piekel versus Austin Hubbard. Women's flyweight, Courtney Casey versus Liana Jojo. And flyweight, Alexandra Pantoja versus Brandon Royval. So that's a very exciting fight at flyweight. 
Um, that's all we got right now. We don't have any prelims booked at the moment, it looks like. I don't know if that's subject to change. I would assume so, but who fucking knows? Um, what do you think of this main yeah, event, Jared Cunier? Yeah. Kelvin Gaslam, what do you think? Man, I mean, that's a wild matchup. We mm-hmm. saw Jared Cunier in his last performance against Robert Whitaker, right? He has not had a fight since Whitaker and Abu Dhabi. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's true, right? I believe you're right. I'll check that for you right now. So, Cannonier coming off a loss to Robert Whitaker, who we're assuming is going to have the next fight against Israel Adesanya. Um, Cannonier versus Gaslam is a bona fide number one contender fight, which is crazy to say because Kevin Gaslam is ranked at nine. However, if you beat number three, Janet Cannonier, especially if you're doing the UFC a favor and finding Whitaker on short notice, mm-hmm. man, like you're in the top three, you're in the top four at least. Especially because yeah. Marvin Vittori just lost in a yep. devastating fashion. Yep. So, man, and who doesn't want to see the rematch between Adesanya and Gasolin? I know. Because You're right. Kevin you were correct, Gasolin. by the way. You were correct, by the way. Jared Cunningham's last oh. fight was at UFC 256 versus, um, what's it called? Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker. So, Kevin Gasolin. The thing about Gasolin is that he has a unique ability to get on the inside, eat shots on the way in and make it a dog fight, which we've seen Jared Conanier. Not that he can't go to deep waters and win, but we saw him struggle with Robert Whitaker. He's getting pieced up by the jab a lot. I'm mm-hmm. interested to see how he's dealing with fighting in the phone booth with a guy like uh, Kevin Gastelum. If I'm Jared Conanier, Gastelum's a bit undersized at middleweight. He's not the tallest guy, doesn't have a really good reach, but Conanier is a true 185er. If I'm Conanier, this fight's all about getting my jab out there early maintain distance and dictating where this fight happens, not in the pocket with Calvin Gaslam, because if you get, if you let Calvin Gaslam get too close to you, that's when the fight gets dangerous. So mm-hmm. either way, I think this is going to be a barn burner of a fight. I can't wait for the main event five rounds as well. I believe that favors Gaslam more than Cannoneer, yep, but I agree. we will be seeing. We haven't seen Cannoneer really in the, in five rounds. I don't know if he's ever fought in five rounds before. Correct me if I'm wrong, but. Yeah, I, mean, um, I don't know. That's great. I mean, I would favor Gaslam as this fight goes forward into the later rounds, but we will see, and I can't wait for it. But we got to wait another week for it, so we will see. Yeah, looking right now, it doesn't look like he has ever fought in a five-round fight, so I believe this will be the first five-round fight of his career. Um, I agree. Also, that- important to note, Cannoneer yeah. would be a fresh matchup for Adesanya. So assuming he yeah. defeats Gaslam, a guy who gave Adesanya a tough fight previously, he's right in there as well. Keep in mind that Israel Asanya couldn't put Kevin Gaslam away either. I mean, he was just about as close as you can get, but nonetheless, Kevin Gaslam's a tough fight for anybody, especially on, I don't want to call it short notice, but uh, relatively short notice for Kevin Gaslam, if I'm remembering off the top of my head correctly. He just fought, uh, who did he fight last? He fought very recently, didn't he? Fought Robert Whitaker on short notice. He stepped in for... April 17th, so... He stepped in for Costa, I believe, right? I believe you're right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a super exciting fight. Um, I just love to see Kelvin Gaslam fight. I love watching him fight. Uh, it, it's going to – I'd like to see the rematch between him and Izzy, uh, just especially since we haven't really heard anything from Izzy. Uh, I don't know what his next fight's going to be. and I haven't heard any, like, rumblings even. But I think more than likely he's probably going to face Robert Whitaker again uh, before he faces either of these two. But who knows? I mean, maybe – especially with the way UFC's been booking shit lately. It could be anything. Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends because they really want to bring that fight to the Oceania region. Mm-hmm. But like we said before, they're shutting down again. So 
they might be forced to make this one in Florida or Houston, wherever in the U.S. is going to allow to to have that fight. Um, Dana said in his post fight, he said, Vegas, Houston, Florida, those are my three spots I know I can go to no matter what happens in this crazy world that we're living in right now. So, yeah, if if I'm if I'm an Izzy fan, I'm not banking on this fight happening in home. So no. Um, I think that's going to wrap for this episode. Uh, do you have anything that you want to add before we close out here? No, man, but just a quick shout-out to Severe MMA. Uh, the Severe MMA podcast has been booming recently. We did a great mm-hmm. job covering UFC 264 from Las Vegas. You can find all of our coverage on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, our podcast available wherever you get your podcasts, and also the Patreon. You can pay to get some little extra content. We routinely have guys like Michael Bisping, Ariel Hawani, um, Dan Hardy, even Rob Fox from Barstool Sports has been on a couple of times. So, yeah, a bunch of great content from guys over at Severe MMA. And also check out the website. There's a bunch of interesting articles from the guys like Ian O'Neill and Sean Sheehan. So, yeah, good stuff over there. Sweet. Um, we will be back um, not next week. Maybe we'll give you a little something next week. Who knows if there's any big news. If there's something that's super groundbreaking, we'll cover it real quick in a short episode. But more than likely, we will see you again in two weeks um, after Jared Connier versus Kelvin Gastelum from the Apex Center in Las Vegas. Uh, all right, sweet. Thank you all for listening. Peace.